0: From Western Sound and ACAST Studios, this is The Score. Season 1, The Bank Robber Diaries. I'm Ben Adair, and this is episode 10, Your Listener Questions. And I've got to say, probably people have noticed already, <laughs> I'm suffering from this winter cold that a lot of people have been suffering from. But here's the thing, Joe, what I'm hoping is that it really helps. Uh, we've gotten a few comments on the Apple reviews, people thinking my voice maybe isn't enough radio enough or podcast enough, so maybe this will help. Really? Wow. Yeah, a couple of people have said, you know, maybe it could be a little bit deeper. So, <laughs> how, how am I? How am I sounding to you? You sound, sound husky. Husky. I'll take that. All right. Um, okay. So let's just get straight into it.
1: Hi, this is Danielle, and my question for Joe is: How much, if anything, do your children know about your past? Um, if they're too young now, do you plan to tell them not just about the bank robberies, but also about the abuse you've overcome? Thanks. Ah, that's a wonderful question, Danielle. Okay. So my daughter was seven when I told her about, um, that I had been a bank robber. Um, she had been asking a lot of questions. Uh, you know, I go into prisons to talk to people there and conduct writing workshops. And the one time when she was seven, I went to San Quentin because I was the, um, the speaker for their graduation. They had a university project in there. And, um, so she knew I got went into prison a lot. So she had a lot of questions about bad guys, good guys, all that stuff. And then one day she asked Dad, "Did you, you know, anybody who ever robbed a bank?" And I was like, oh, "So she, did, she, she actually directly. literally, because we were, well, and I mean, not out of the blue, but she, um, um, we were walking out of uh, Safeway and there was a Brinks truck there or something like that. And then we were we were we were walking. She goes, "Did you ever know anyone who robbed a bank?" And then I was like, "Okay, she's starting to piece things together." And I was like, "Yeah, I did. I know, I know a guy who robbed an armored car." And then when we were driving home, after I told her the story, she goes, did you ever rob a bank? <laughs> I said, do I look like I robbed a bank? She goes, no, you want to rob a bank because my uh, if you did, I would call the cops and mommy would be angry and she'd call the cops and then you'd go. <laughs> I said, oh, really? And I was able to change the subject. But we realized that I probably should tell her so she was getting to the age. Range. So we took her out. to We spent a day with her, took her out to her favorite frozen yogurt, went home. And then I told her, hey, you know how I was going to prison and you know um, I said I wrote a book, and she said yes. You know how I've always gone to prisons to help people. It's because I believe people can change their lives. And this book is about how I once upon a time robbed a bank, robbed banks, and went to prison and stuff. And and so I changed my life, and everybody, you know, supports me now. And this and this and that. I'm a different man, and and now you're in my life. And I I broke it down. And her first response was like, "So you went to prison?" I said, "Yeah." She said, "Did you have to pee in a bucket?" And I was like, "No, Mia, I didn't. Uh, I didn't do time in an 18th century French prison. No, no. <laughs> I was like in the Bastille." And it turns out she had watched some t- uh, show, um, Phineas and Ferb, and when somebody got to prison, they were given a bucket to pee in. So that's her impression of what prison was. So, um, were but, you
0: were you nervous before you told
1: her? I kind of was, but the the uh, the truth is that I'd been preparing for this since she was born, before she was born. And the way I prepared for it was, like, every time we watched a little show, it didn't matter, Niho Kailan or Caillou or Doro. Every show of those kids' shows, somebody gets alienated for doing something wrong and everyone has to, like, welcome them back into the group. And I looked at all those stories, as future re-entry stories. Like, I was going to lean into all those when we talked about that. Sometimes you have to help people get back in. That's what community is about. That's what we do. We love them. We throw love at them. And we solve the problems. I always would... Work those storylines into our lives everywhere to let her know redemption was a storyline she needed to understand. Because I knew one day I was going to have to give my redemption story to her. So that's a great question, Danielle.
0: Next question is from Erica Cullum uh, Hey guys, loving the podcast. However, very saddened about the abuse Joe, his brother, and ex stepmom faced. Thank you for sharing such a private story. Okay, on to the questions. I love heist movies and lovable criminals. And Joe, you are a totally a lovable criminal. How do you get rid of a die pack or whatever tracers are put in the stacks of money? Two. <laughs> Two. A few months ago in Georgia, an armored truck opened up and a bunch of money spilled out of the back of it. They asked people to return the money. How do you know that the money isn't being tracked or traced or that it's okay to spend? Fun fact, I live in Lancaster, Texas, which is where Bonnie and Clyde robbed their first bank. And it sounds like maybe Erica is interested in following in Bonnie and Clyde's footsteps, maybe a little bit. But anyway, okay, how do you get rid of a dye pack or a tracer that are in the stacks of money? I mean, these are like some pretty detailed questions, Erica, I got to say. Maybe we shouldn't have you. Joe,
1: um, I just, just asked you out of the blue, just pointed it out of the hat. So, like, if I want to disguise myself going into a bank so nobody would know that I was me, it was me in the vault stealing the money, at what part of the shelf do you think that I could get the most amount of money? That's hilarious. Okay, so here we go. Um, Erica, here's what I would tell you. Everybody in prison, when they talked about robbing stuff, it's funny. We would all talk that, you know, when we get the money next time, we're going to have a lead-lined box full of water. And we're gonna come out and immediately. Throw all the stuff in the in the lead line box with the water submerged, so no signal could come out of it. So that was our whole thing. And you know, as criminals are so impulsive, nobody's gonna go weld a lead line box and fill it with water and put it in the back seat and throw the money in there, so that no signal can get out. But apparently, we all were under the impression that that would make the signal um, impossible to you know to trace, submerged and in lead. That's all I can tell you. As criminals, that's as far as my intelligence goes and sort of thwarting, you know, the the surveillance of that or, you know, tracking of it.
0: I mean, if you had time to sort of like examine the money look through the money like as they're giving it to you you would see the devices right i mean they're not well,
1: definitely yeah rather.
0: but you just don't have time i mean this, it's not like you can go online like i think you go, yeah,
1: i think you can go online or you could probably punch in you know a die pack and there might be some pictures of what a die pack looks like it looks like a brick of money like it's cuz they have to keep it really thick and and it's in, unmovable because inside is uh, you know, literally a PC board and diodes and transistors and stuff for it to explode when it gets a certain place outside of the banks, a certain distance from the bank. So, yeah, it doesn't look like real money. But in your enthusiasm and all the all the other things that are going on, then you have yourself a teller who's very savvy and makes you, like, want to have to pay, need to pay attention to them as opposed to the money you're just shoving in your bag. It all, it all happens so fast. Um, but on the other hand, uh, the transmitter is, is tougher, you know? But I, I imagine if you really wanted to take your time and stay in the bank longer, you might be able to figure out why you're in there. The Best thing maybe is to like on your way out, have somebody else look at it when you're walking away, driving away. I don't know. I can't tell her how to rob a bank. I'm just saying how to get away.
0: Uh, just just uh, to to finish it out, uh, were you, did you ever worry about uh, like traceable money or trackable money? Like, you know, they talk about like sequential serial numbers or something like that. Was that ever a concern?
1: Well, you remember I got those I got those bills and um, um, that were unmarked and and they were they were or like the stack. There was there was the stack of the bricks of money. Yeah, there were a thousand bills. Those were all sequential. I didn't care. I didn't care how those are going to be used. I didn't care at all. Again, impulsive, no feel for posterity. Mm-hmm. I knew I was eventually going to get caught. I didn't care. If This is the way it's going to be. It's going to be.
0: So maybe the money was trackable. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it wasn't. I don't know what shit. they
1: were doing. Who gives a shit? It's like who's and who's really looking out for ones and fives anyway, right? So like I don't care. So uh I mean I was concerned to, after I got that first exploding die pack. I didn't want to get another one. So that's why they duped me when they gave me the transmitter money because I was like, oh, this one flips on the sides easily. This is not um exploding die pack. And so I put that in the bag, not realizing, oh, there's a new technology that will track you, that it bends on the, you know, the money bends on the sides and it, you it, you'll still get caught. So, um, I, that was the only time I was really concerned about anything was I didn't want to get another exploded die pack. Yeah.
0: Hey, what's up, Joe? My name's Taylor from Denver, Colorado. Love the podcast and wanted to thank you for sharing your story. I've often heard that bank robbers are one of the most respected types of prisoners And I wanted to know if you find that to ring true from your prison experience. Thanks.
1: Well, there is something to be said about hierarchy uh, in prison of crimes. So if I'm in a room with a a bunch of guys who sell drugs or break into homes and steal TVs or a guy stole his mom's pocketbook, or even the career, you know, the petty criminal I was, uh, bouncing checks, whatever. I get in a room with those guys, and I'm a bank robber. Yeah, those guys look at me like, oh, shit, that's a serious criminal. Then you get to prison, and you see all the guys who rob banks, and they were all dope fiends. <laughs> they, were all, they were all guys who started off stealing their mom's pocketbook or burglarizing <laughs> homes for for TV so they could go get drug. They all started out like that, and now they've graduated to bank robbery. But, so when I went in there thinking, ooh, man, I'm a bank robber, and then I saw the company I had to keep in terms of who else for bank robbers, I was like, oh, okay, so everyone could be a bank robber. Anybody could be a bank robber. It's like, ah, shit. You know, because I think everyone wants to believe their George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Everyone wants to believe that they're that, that's what bank robbery is, right? Heist.
0: Well, like Ocean's Eleven, all that. Ocean's Eleven, yeah. all that shit,
1: right? So there's a sexiness to, to bank robbery that, are bank robbers, that we've talked about, you know? But when I was, was in, in there, no, the hierarchy is the guys who are at the top are the gangsters. And they're the ones who, you know, the mob business. The thing about a bank robber though is bank robbers are violent. Not all criminals behind bars are violent, but bank robbers normally have gone in with a gun and taken people's money. They're about take they're like robbers at at a high level. There's guys who are mobsters who don't rob. They muscle, they intimidate, they extort, and maybe they'll blow up a place at night and maybe they'll do something and hurt some guy's legs and threaten whatever. But to actually go to someone and say, I'm taking that, give that to me, that's mine, with a gun, not a lot of gangsters actually do that at that level, right? I mean, they'll kill someone, don't get me wrong, I'm, they're lethal. But so just to somebody to say, I make my living, I was saying, hey, you see what you got there, it's mine, give it to me. There's not a lot of guys who have that kind of thing. So there is something to be said that if you are a gangster, you don't mind hooking up with a guy who robbed banks because at least he's demonstrated that that he's willing to go right up to somebody and say, give me this, you're gonna give me this, I'm taking this from you. So that aggression does have some, um, some charge, you know, some, there's some energy to that and people do kind of respect that, leisure least that. Personally, I was saying, I looked around, I was like, ah, oh, shit, okay. Um, well, yeah,
0: and we're gonna, we're gonna get into prison and in sort of like the next few episodes of the show, mm-hmm. what happened to you when you went to prison, but we'll be right back with more questions. All right, we have uh, one more question from Taylor. If the same technology that we have today was present back when you were robbing banks, do you think that you still would have tried to rob banks? Or do you think you would have gravitated towards a different crime?
1: Matt, it's hard to say. I do know one thing. The moment that I chose to do bank robbery was a very particular moment. And I was in Mexico. I'd been robbed. I needed money right away. And I happened to be in Mexico, and I remembered, oh, you know what? Bontrovia used to go to the United States and rob banks or stuff like that in post offices. So I need money right away. Maybe I should become a thief, a robber who does this. And I hadn't robbed anyone before. Like, I'd never robbed a liquor store or anything like that. So for me to make that was a huge leap. But the reason I made it was particularly the chair that I was in in Ensenada, and I had been robbed, and I have $2,000 left, and I'm like, I need money right away. So that's what came to me, the idea of the bandido going up in the you know, the United States, stealing money and coming back down. That's why I became a back It was that moment, you know?
0: You didn't think about, oh, but I what about the thinking... die packs? What about the... Unlike,
1: yeah, no. So because I was interested in making money as fast as possible, everything in me that would have said, oh, here's why it's a bad idea, was shut down. <laughs> it was, I was not trying, because already I'm a fugitive. I'm wanted for being a criminal. I've come to Mexico to embrace my criminality. I'm like, I've left all my family, everyone. I didn't tell them I was leaving as far as I'm concerned. I was never going to see them again. I was dead to them. I was going to be a criminal. Now I'm given an opportunity. Let's dial this up. Let's up your game. You said you came down here to be a criminal. They've given you a chance to go and dial it up. So there was no way I was going to be like, yeah, but let me think about this, man. Hmm, What are the things that are going to keep me back? How might that catch me? I don't care. I put a gun in the back of my car, stolen car <laughs> from San Diego and drive up into San Diego like crazy, just crazy. We're criminals precisely one because we're dumb, two because we're impulsive, three, no sense feel for posterity.
0: Um, OK, next question is from Wes. He says, hi, Joe, I have a question. But first, thanks for telling your story. Uh, I appreciate your honesty and openness. I'm sure it's hard to relive your stories, especially the ones about your abusive childhood. Here's my question. Your father used fear to intimidate you and your brother. You talk about how much you hated this when you were a kid and were powerless to do anything about it. Your brother talks about how much he hated it too. And yet you used fear to intimidate bank tellers when you became a bank robber. If you knew how horrible it felt when fear was used on you, how could you justify using it on someone else?
1: That's a good question. (laughs) The thing is, I think you're confused. I never justify using it on anyone else. I don't justify it. I don't think I justified it at the time. I didn't say, I'm going to do this to people because it was done to me. I did something where I justified being a criminal who moved in the world because I didn't give a shit about morality anyway, because society sucked. They didn't protect me. So I was angry at society in general, and I didn't care about the rules that society put on people. Um, I was um, Because I was rageful, I just felt like, fuck you. Nobody protected me. The world's absurd. There's no such thing as a God. If there was, maybe he would have stepped in. He didn't. I don't believe in God. That means I don't believe in your God. I don't believe in your system of laws. I don't believe in your system of rules. Fuck you. So anybody who's in my way, you're just all knuckleheads. Get out of the way. I don't think I was like, well, you know what? Uh, I didn't like it, but I like hurting people. So I'm going to go do that. Um, we do end up behaving exactly the way things were modeled to us. That's just basic how we are. That's called socialization. I was socialized to be a petty man who, when my ego was threatened by other people, I would use violence to subdue them and intimidation to subdue them. That was what was modeled to me as a human being. I was socialized that way. So when I grew up and I got angry because people were telling me they were in my way, they were trying to thwart me, thwart my ego would be offended and I would behave that way. Me acknowledging that that's a pattern and that's something that humans do is not justifying that, that, that what I was doing was right Act, because I was so desperate, angry, full of rage. There's no logic to that. There's no rationalizing that. So yeah, I did what I did and I can see that that's what I did. Right. It
0: wasn't even a question. You were just kind of reacting. I was
1: just reacting. I can see that now. And now I don't justify it at all, obviously. Not at all. You know, it's just actually one of the sadnesses of, of people who are abused is they grow up and abuse other people. Right. It's just one of the tragedies of life. One of the reasons we're so fucked up is all the people who have been traumatized and they just grow up and nobody tells them how to do it. And the best they can tell them is, oh, just pray it away to God. It's fine. It's good. You're good. Keep Hmm. going. And they never really deal with it. So there's that.
0: Okay. Somewhat related question from Martina in Los Angeles. Joe, have you ever been overcome by rage unexpectedly? And if so, what does that look like? Or have you always been able to consciously access and direct it the way you describe in the podcast? Would you say that this sets you apart from your father, who seems to have been much more impulsive with his anger and unable to fully control it?
1: But just because I now talk about what was going on at the time, I had no clue what was going on at the time. This, a lot of this is in retrospect. I was able right. to figure stuff out. When I got out of prison, there was a couple of times where I exploded early on. And my I felt like my rage went from, you know, because when I came out, I, tr- I had been meditating. I had done so much work on myself and trying to understand what triggered me and everything. So I was like real Really compassion. I was like a Buddhist. I was really trying to like do the right thing, be honorable. And I didn't want to get angry ever again. I didn't want to have any aggression ever again. And uh, two times I blew up. I mean, like I said things and the media was like, oh, why are you saying this? Why are we doing this? <laughs> like, But the good thing was very instantly I knew that's not who I want to be. That's not what I want to do. When I get angry like this in the past, it meant that I was feeling insecure, wounded. I'm not angry. I'm feeling wounded. I'm feeling hurt. So, so this,
0: is, this is going straight into her follow-up, her second question, which is, now that you've changed your life, can you still access that rage, which apparently was a vital part of your identity and power, and channel it into something productive? Or is it completely gone, and do you miss
1: it? You don't ever lose—the the ra- the rage is identified—I have identified my rage and tied it to wound. I have a lot of wounds from early on, and those would always activate my rage if I felt tender the rage would come to protect me kind of right and it would raise up like don't worry you don't have to be helpless little fellow. we got you kind of thing well i don't feel helpless anymore in many ways uh, uh, at all there are some wounds that are tender and some of them surprise me like i did get insecure twice with these two men when i was uh, early out of prison and i and i roared at them and they just shut down and i was like oh shit i don't want to be that guy anymore You know, my whole thing is don't let anyone organize their life around my moods at all. And so I did, and I felt terrible. And five minutes later, I apologized. So it was like pretty quickly I was able to recognize that. But when I've when I've started getting angry out here, sometimes what I find is very helpful is to say, "Oh, you petty little voice! (laughs) Like you're just wounded. So why don't we create a character? I always have these characters that these two guys always talk. There's pretty Rudy." And there's Jethro Johnny. I have dialogue after dialogue after dialogue of these guys. Pretty Rudy and Jethro Johnny are the conversation in my head with this stupid voice that wants to like say all sorts of obnoxious shit to people. And that's Jethro Johnny. And Pretty Rudy is my voice saying, you're a fucking idiot. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, it's these two ex-cons in my head, right? And so pretty Rudy's older, more mature, he's already felt all the things that young Jethro Johnny angry feels and so i can i can create stories with this rage that i have at somebody something and Jethro Johnny could verbalize it and so I get all the energy out of me. I get to express it, but I don't have to direct it at somebody I'm angry with on the streets or somebody I've had an argument with some executive at Disney or whatever. I don't have to argue with them. Whatever I'm feeling in my head, whatever I'm agitated by, it goes straight into the dialogue and it makes a crackle because it's like, it's just, it's so raw visceral and it's, it's it. And then the, and, and it's tempered by this other guy. So it's really cool. It goes into my writing and it really creates these dialogues where there's this tension, there's this uh, there's this aggression and I get to have fun with it on the page. And then nobody gets hurt in the process of me being able to express it and I get to channel it into into my art that way. So, there's that.
0: Is it is it harder being a writer than it is being a bank robber? <laughs>
1: You know, the first time I ever got paid for writing was that first bank robbery note. So I can't, that was cool, but it's true <laughs> that I am, man, that's a great question. It is much harder to be a writer than it is to be a bank robber. Because in a bank robber, you can be as indiscriminate with your rage as you want. I can go in there and I see somebody and I am just like throw it at you. Like dark magic raging at you and make you like animate you to run to the vault and get me my money and give it to me and, and I run out. It's instant, it's compact violence, boom, in and out. Writing, I have to sit there and I got to be traumatized by it and I got to like dread coming back and then I got to read it and oh, I'm so stupid. First draft, second draft, oh, I hate myself. Oh, nobody wants to read it. All the anguish and all this, Bleh. it's terrible. And even if you're a good writer, you still have to do first and second drafts and that. So you're going a hard, long way into thinking, oh, I got to focus, sharpen, focus, sharpen. It's so much easier just to just be like brutish. Hmm. Which is why most people are brutish on the planet. It's much more challenging to to try to become a supple
0: person. (laughs) Okay, and we'll be right back with a few more questions. Okay, and we're back uh, with a question from Scott. Hi, Ben and Joe. My name is Scott Quinn and I am loving this podcast. I don't normally cheer for lawbreakers, but uh,
1: Joe's story is uh, so heartbreaking and he's such a a damn likable guy that I, I can't help myself. And my question for Joe is, did you ever weigh the consequence of going to prison against whatever the thrill was or whatever was motivating you, the hatred, whatever uh, that uh, that you got from robbing banks. And, And particularly, I mean, not just being away, but suffering the violence and indignities that many prisoners endure while
0: they're inside the prison system.
1: It's a good question. Okay. So my feeling is this. Okay. One, no, I did never think about anything uh, like, oh, I should not do that, or whatever. I've gone over that. I did not have a feel for my future. No feel for posterity. My mother died at 26. I was just happy to make it at 26. And once I got there, I was like, what the fuck do I do now? And I fell apart and went on 30 bank, 30 bank robbery spree. So once I get to prison... Turns out, in retrospect, I realized all I was doing was finding a place that fit for how I felt, which is worthless, like a worthless piece of shit. The childhood brutalities were so intense that I actually didn't feel like I had anything coming other than what, what this was here. Like, that's what losers have. And I felt like a loser with all the, the, the bullshit of my life. You know, I felt like I was a loser. Mm-hmm. And... Um, the logic of the loser is, ha-ha, I win. Ha-ha, you guys couldn't tell me what to do. Fuck you. Oh, wait, I'm in here for seven years? Well, fuck you anyway. ha I won. I mean, that's what the logic of the loser is. I felt like, mm, this is what I got coming. That's cool. You guys thought you were going to, like, get me back. Ha-ha, you didn't get me back. Because um, I wanted to be here. This is where I got to be. That was, it was that kind of thing. Hmm. And uh, until I could get rid of that loser logic and loser mentality... I thought that that's that was fitting for me, you know,
0: okay. This is another audio question. Hi, this is Timo from Lansing,
1: Michigan. Uh, my question for Joe is, did you talk to anyone while incarcerated, like other bank robbers or thieves about how to up your game, so to speak? Thanks a lot. Love the show. um, he asked a good question. Would I have if I was going to come out again and start robbing banks? Yes, I would have asked people, other bank robbers, for more tips to gather more intelligence on that. But I knew that there were some other opportunities that um, bank robbers didn't know about, mostly because I had gleaned the information myself. I had gathered some intelligence on my own. I knew what I wanted to do, and it was ATM robberies. So um, I did not need to ask other bank robbers about that because I was done bank robbing. If if I was going to come out in the beginning when I was still thinking about coming out and being a criminal... I talked to my friends about let's go do this crimes and and, and maybe get into extortion because since we're violent and aggressive and have no problem hurting people, we can extort. Let's do this. And so it doesn't have to be like, hey, can you give me $12,000 and $1,200 from a teller? I wasn't going to do that anymore. That was, that was, that, I wasn't going to do that. I was now going to use my um, ability to compel people to do what I want them to do. Um, I was going to use it as different leverage to get more money. Uh, Did you have like a crime that you were thinking of? Yeah. ATM bank robbers was definitely one, one, one of them. So
0: is that, is that like breaking into an ATM or is that robbing people at the ATM?
1: No, it's, it's neither. Um, So just real quick, I don't even want to talk about it because you know what? I feel like I want to put in a movie. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to give it away because nobody's done this crime in a movie. So, actually, I'm not going to talk about it. But let's just put it this way. It had to do with ATMs, and it has to do with people who service ATMs. Okay. Uh,
0: Next up is uh, Missy from Istanbul. Joe, do you miss robbing banks? Do you ever roll by the perfect mark and have to stop yourself from pulling a U-turn and hitting that bank? I love that question.
1: (laughs) I love – from Istanbul. Good for you. Um, No. I think I just answered that, too. Like, I, I, I don't want to be a bank robber again. I'm done bank robbery. I mean, I don't want to be a criminal at all again, to be honest with you. Um, part of being the criminal I was, and I think that that's what I've tried to share with this um, podcast, was that one of the ways I could do it was I was full of rage. And when I would get angry, then I could go rob that level of anger that where the rage was ignited in me. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a level of rage in which I didn't care if today was the last day I was alive. I might get shot at the bank. I was fine. That's how it's going to be. That was how it was going to go down. I don't have that fearlessness anymore. <laughs> I'm like, I don't get that angry anymore. So I don't feel like any, I don't, I know that that's a component of bank robbery. That I that needs to happen in me in order for that to happen, I don't have it anymore. So never do I look at a bank and think, "Oh, I'd like to rob it." If anything, I think, if this was a movie, how could somebody rob it? That's what I think. It's a story. It becomes a mm. story now. Also, because I think that if I ever did, you know, hit the skids and just like fuck it, life's not worth living, you know, like I think the last crime I would think about doing is bank robbery. I'm not. That's not where I would go if I backslid. Mm. So.
0: I mean, where where would you go?
1: ATM robberies. I'm pretty sure I already <laughs> talked about that. So uh, that's it. You're not going to get any more. <laughs>
0: okay, this is from Kevin and Kale. Certain, uh, let's they say, how does it feel to hear Joe Senior minimize the abuse in episode six, especially?
1: is a good question because here's the interesting thing. I don't feel like my dad minimized. It. People have asked me this. A couple of people.
0: People, know. yeah, I've heard that feedback so, too. So, that people feel like he was kind of making excuses. Okay, that he so was here's not owning what they don't
1: it. understand. Here's the other thing. A lot of people don't know where me and my dad are now. What happened in that home between me, and my brother, and my dad after Brenda left? The day, that, you know, that led up to the day that I stabbed him. That was us three. That was us three taking the, the traumatic hit together. Now, in order to get from there to where we are now, where we celebrated my dad's birthday the other day, loving him out, hugging him out, there's no formula for how it's done right. We feel like we've done good to come back to us three now at the end here, loving each other on my dad's way out, you know, just loving him on the way out. My mother loved him, and we honor my mother by loving my dad as well for all the good things he does in him, and he's a great-grandfather to my my daughter, and he and I work things out.
0: Well, and I mean, like, how you get from where you were to where you are now— not to be all forward parody about it, but stay tuned. <laughs> we're gonna, there you go. We're yeah. going to get to that. Stay tuned, right. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is uh, Julie from L.A. Joe, do you still keep in touch with Brenda? Did you listen to her interviews in the podcast, and what did you think of them?
1: Yes, um, I did listen to the interviews on them. In fact, I was the one who said, hey, contact Brenda. Let's see what she says about all this stuff going on. Brenda's very tight with my brother, very close to my brother. They talk to each other all the time but Brenda and I um are not i'm I'm not beefing with Brenda like it's not like I have some animosity towards Brenda but I don't um but we are not we are not in contact like i I feel like if I wanted to right now I could call her and we'd be fine you know what I mean but it's just for some reason there is not a big uh there's not a big desire for me to like I need to get right with Brenda because I don't feel like I'm wrong with Brenda and yeah, you know what I mean. Like Brenda left. Brenda was good to us. I honor everything Brenda did good to me. I know I'm a writer because of Brenda. I acknowledge all the ways in which I'm smarter because of Brenda. I, uh, um, the things I'm attuned to because of Brenda. Uh, the some of the music I was—I mean, every—I can't listen to John Denver without crying and thinking of Brenda. Like I—I'm connected to Brenda in the ways that she came and, and left an impression on us. Yeah, Brenda left, man. Brenda, you heard it. Brenda left at our most vulnerable time because Brenda had to go take care of Brenda, which is legit. And I'm not putting that down. It is legit. She couldn't have been good to us if she wasn't good to herself. But it's one of those things, the cards get played. And I'm grateful for the four and a half years she was in our lives. And I try to get all the good things that she gave me to ripple through me and through my daughter. And you know, I tell my Brenda stories, and I tell—I learned this from Brenda. You know, it's great stuff. But uh, but I haven't reconnected with her like my my brother did. Just haven't. Again, we're not beefing. It's just we're not for some reason. There's some component missing there that I can't I can't describe. That's just like it. It. There's no me picking up, going, reaching for the phone. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like. She's a lovely lady, beautiful lady, man. Like, you know, she's a good person, but it's weird. Next question. Um. Okay.
0: This is from Josh in Los Angeles. Does Joe think you can make a case that robbing banks is a noble profession? Like, I guess, like Pancho Villa a little bit. Banks almost wrecked our country, but there's no physical violence when they rob us.
1: <laughs> this is a revolutionary question, I think. <laughs> From the radical wing of the podcast <laughs> audience. <laughs> Um oh, do I feel like there are these that capitalism kind of sucks? You could make a case that um people who have robbed banks were good for poor people? I mean, I think it was pretty boy Floyd who used to literally go into the banks when there was no computers and he would burn. The mortgage. Or the records. The records so that people didn't own the banks anything anymore. That's one of the reasons all those bank robbers were heroes for a while, folk heroes. Hmm. Because they were actually saying, you bank screw us and you think you're not going to pay for it. Right. And so one of the reasons I as a bank robber to this day... And given cut a lot of slack and considered bank robbers considered kind of a sexy crime, it's precisely because those guys did that at that time and they became folk heroes. But is it a noble profession? I don't know if mm. it's a profession, I wouldn't even call it a profession. <laughs> Listen, do you want to poke the man's uh, you know, poke the man in the eye and do all sorts of stuff to go make money to say, fuck you man, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that that's a profession. <laughs> Well and there is like I mean you are doing violence against the people, right? Like the, this is important. Listen, so when I rob those banks, this is this is the opposite of what I always teach or preach, which is I'm fine robbing those banks. I don't feel guilty for having robbed Bank of America or or um First Interstate. I don't. They're insured. They're fine. They don't even remember me. The women who I robbed, the couple men that I robbed, they remember, they remember me. Yeah. They were traumatized by it. You cannot rob a bank without hurting people that are real people, real family members, mothers, daughters, husbands, brothers, and it ripples into their community. It ripples into their immediate sphere of influence, right? So there's, like, How do you do that without doing that? I mean, how do you? And if in that, I don't know how noble it is to be traumatizing people. Like, I certainly don't think it's noble to traumatize innocent people. So. Right. There's that, right? Okay. And now you
0: have a couple of questions that people have written I'm you I'm just going to answer real Facebook. quickly.
1: Yeah, friends of mine. Given that you've matured into such a compassionate person, how do you deal with negative emotions so that they don't swallow you up? Well, for one, I have do self-care. <laughs> I sleep a lot. Secondly, I also um, write. I put a lot of the aggression into the writing. And then thirdly, self-care. I have a lot of good people in my life, a lot of good people in my life. And I just spend time with good people, good people. Begets goodness in me, man. It just like, it's just good. You know, I'm around decent people, loving people, kind people who see the world, not through a bitter filter, but through like optimism and joy. And my daughter, man, I got this, this daughter who does not know how to stop laughing and smiling. She's just like, you know, I, I feel bad. I feel trouble. I get around here. I'm like, ah, man, thank you. This is like, yeah, you're cool. Okay. One last thing here. This guy sent me this thing. Good guy. Benny from England. Uh, What was the most intoxicating thing about your life back then? Was it the money or was that a happy byproduct? The most intoxicating thing was the getaway. That, driving home, listening to uh, Pink Floyd uh, comfortably numb, knowing that I was going to have seafood pasta that night with a white wine and a nice restaurant, dressed nice in my $1,000 Uh, you know homemade suit not homemade but you know bespoke bespoke so yeah that was it it was the the intoxicating thing about it was uh, that I had used my power to make this elegant moment possible
0: Okay, well, thanks, Joe. This has been really fun answering yeah, all these answering all these listener questions. Thanks to everyone who wrote in. Sorry, we couldn't get to all of the questions, but um, you know, maybe if we get a lot more, if you guys want more questions, we'll do another one after the show wraps up. This has been episode ten of the Bank Robber Diaries: Your Questions. It's season one of the Score from Acast Studios and Western Sound. Executive producers are me, Ben Adair, Joe Loya, Veronica Taylor, and Susie Warhurst. Producers are Cameron Kell, Haley Fox, and Stephanie Aguilar. Original composition and sound design is by Dan Leone. Production assistance from Annette Ron Hell. Mixing is by Johnny Vince Evans and Eric Romani. There's lots more info about our show on our website, TheScorePodcast.co. And you can find out a lot more about Joe at joeloya.ltd. There's also a lot there about his book, The Man Who Outgrew His Prison Cell. Go check it out. Uh, Next week is episode 11, second time in. Stay tuned.